Welcome to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. So welcome to this Weber Wenzel podcast on uh, trending topics. I am Wendy Tembeza and uh, I've got here Carl Blom with me. We are both partners in the TMT and IP team uh, at Weber Wenzel. And today we're going to be talking about ransomware attacks um, and the impact that they've had recently. Of course, Carl, I mean, you'll know very well that there has been a steep upsurge. And so from a client perspective, there's a lot of focus on managing these kinds of attacks within business organizations. Absolutely. Thank you, Wendy. It's something that we're seeing uh, incre- increasingly frequently are these uh, you know, cyber attacks of you know, a variety of forms, uh, demands being issued to our clients and our clients being placed in an invidious position to respond to these requests both in a way that protects their business, but also which comply with an increasing number of laws that regulate these type of tax. Yeah, and I think what's important there is to understand, right, um, what laws are implicated, right? So I suppose in the context of the nature of, of the breach, here we're talking about ransomware attacks in particular, right? And this is really the introduction of malicious software into um, computer systems, right? And so when we're looking at the law, we have to look at it within the context of the the nature of that breach. Definitely. I think, you know, to that point, it's it's helpful to understand anatomy very briefly of how so many of these attacks are carried out. So invariably, what will happen is on a Friday afternoon or on a Saturday morning, and that timing is obviously very deliberately, uh, our clients will receive a notification from their IT team to say something's gone wrong, we've lost access to our files, and we suspect it's a ransomware attack and we've received a demand. And typically what has happened is if a month or two before the attack, sometimes even up to six months before the attack is known, and hacker has gained access to your systems, they've installed a, a virus payload, they've extracted some of your confidential information, and once they've gathered enough of your information that they deem to be valuable, they will then flick a switch, which will encrypt all your information and present you for demand to make payments usually in Bitcoin to them. And I suppose this takes us back to the importance of ensuring that your safety controls within your IT infrastructure, um, you are comfortable as an organization that they are appropriate and reasonable, having regard to the context of the particular types of breach that you are susceptible to. Because of course, um, you know, it's about you have to deal with the the attackers themselves, um, and then there are the the legal implications of potential um, court action the regulatory components of dealing with uh, regulators uh, regulating within this space, and then, of course, the reputational consequences that might flow um, from from an instance of a breach as well. So having to look at it holistically is also going to be quite important. Well, then maybe starting with the, the legal nuts and bolts, Wendy, I mean, when we, when we talk about these events, usually the first thing that jumps to mind is people panicking, going, well, I've had this attack. Were my security safeguards sufficient? Am I in trouble? So maybe beneficial just to briefly touch on, if you don't mind, what you, know, you see the the legal requirement being for you know the safety measures clients should have in place to protect their systems. 
Sure. So, I mean, primarily from a data perspective, right? Because ultimately the, the bad actors are looking for data sets um, that are valuable, you know, from a certain perspective. And so that will then implicate Poppy quite quite strongly. And of course, the primary obligation in relation to protecting personal information there is that your technology systems, um, you need to implement appropriate, reasonable and technical organizational measures. Now, again, what that looks like for an organization will differ depending on the risk profile. And so it's important to um, apply that within the context of the potential risks that you see in your particular business. So so again, assessing the 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 nature of your technology um, security controls, be it access controls, um, be it in the way that your policies are drafted around how um, IT infrastructure is utilized, be it in how uh, frequently uh, maintenance uh, and review of your systems um, uh, occurs, that those are all going to be important aspects that lead to you you know, getting to a place of comfort as to the the nature and extent of your protections within your systems. Yeah, thanks, Wendy. Absolutely. And I suppose, of course, to add, you know, while that's, that's the general position that exists under Poppy, the second you enter into a highly regulated space, such as a bank or an insurer um, or a healthcare provider or even schooling increasingly these days, you will find that there may well be specific requirements that you must follow that may be more onerous than Poppy, but Due to the, the circumstances of the nature in which industry in which you operate, rather, you must ensure that you meet those higher and more stringent requirements. And then I suppose, you know, sticking with a poppy point, Wendy, um, we assume the worst has happened, this breach has occurred. Um, obviously, even under poppy, you must take certain steps that flow from that incident. Right, right. So, so primarily it will be around the notifications, right? So looking as an organization what your notification obligations are, then these will be in relation to the data subjects and the obligations you have and the time periods within which that needs to occur, subject, of course, to the ongoing um, uh, criminal investigations to the extent that something has already commenced in relation to a certain breach. And then, of course, your notifications to the regulator. And typically how these are managed is that organizations, in fact, have um, a breach, uh, a plan um, that then deals with how employees, which is quite important in terms of managing a risk, what employees um, should do in the event of a breach, who they should notify, and um, how then the organization approaches the regulator to provide the, the information required by them in terms of uh, the regulator then assisting the organization in managing that breach. So that is going to be quite a fundamental aspect of um, ensuring compliance with the regulatory uh, framework because, of course, the regulator needs to know that the data subjects are fully able to exercise their rights in relation to, to that breach. And so um, it's important to ensure that the organization has appropriate measures um, and practices in place to deal with that eventuality um, should it occur. And what makes these incidents so you know, legally complex and, and interesting, I suppose, is that you have this tapestry of laws that apply. So obviously, we have these popular requirements you've mentioned. They require this mandatory notification of personal information that's been accessed or acquired. But these obligations exist in parallel with other notifications. So if I, I'll pick on two. Uh, we have the um, Prevention and Combating of Corrupt uh, Activities Act, uh, which we often call PRECA. 
and that requires a notification to the South African police service uh, in the event that certain crimes are committed. And that includes fraud or extortion um, crimes that have a value in excess of 100,000 rand. So if you go back to you know, the, the factual patterns we sketched out, if I receive a demand for $10,000, well, that now obviously takes me above 100,000 rand, and it's clearly an extortionate threat. And if I don't pay, I lose my data. And so now I must make this notification to the SAPS. And so if I fail to do so, that is a crime that I would then be committing. And, and married to that, we have the Cyber Crimes Act, which takes it slightly further to say if you are a financial institution or if you are an electronic communication service provider and you suffer any kind of cybercrime on your network, which could be a broad range of things, it can be fraud, it can be extortion, it can be cyber theft, uh, any of these crimes are you know, suffered by you on your network, you must then re report that to the SAPS as well. And so you can have these multiple obligations arising to all these acts that all require you to make these notifications of an incident that you may still be grappling to control. Yeah. So so I suppose, Carl, then, you know, the question now is the practical the practical approach, right? You've note you've mentioned that there are a huge range of um uh, legislative or le uh, regulatory hoops that one has to jump through in the event of a breach. Um, so what are the practical things that an organization can preemptively do to to guard against this? I mean, one of the things I think of is, you know, when you're looking at a, your insurance policies and ensuring that, you know, you've got some level of cover. It's obviously difficult to legislate for every type of um, breach, but assessing what kind of cover you have and when it would um, become effective. What What other instances are you seeing of things that organizations should be looking at? So there's a few. So if we're looking at the preventative side, obviously the the whole gambit of the ransomware attack is that I, the hacker has taken your data, they've destroyed your data, and your only recourse out of this mess is to pay them the ransom, or that paying the ransom will cost you less money than restoring from a backup. So what you really need, this is a practical, almost as a non-legal point, is to have robust you know, backups that you are continuously checking and making sure up to date. Because if you have a viable backup, you can restore in a matter of hours. That obviously takes a wind out entirely of the attacker's sales. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't make all your problems go away. So if I am, let's say I am hacked and someone takes all my data, I may be able to restore my data. But the hacker could still say, well, if you don't pay me my ransom, I will notify your customers that you've been hacked. I will notify the press, etc. It could be quite embarrassing for you, depending on what those files are. So backup doesn't cure all of it, but between an insurance policy that should hopefully cover your attorneys, your you know, investigators and PR people, which we'll touch on, I'm sure, in a bit, and robust backups, you're already in a much stronger position than most victims of these attacks. And then, I mean, of course, I think after the fact as well, thinking about actions you can take um, to ensure that you yourself don't become liable to some degree, right? Because there is the potential that one could be seen to be aiding and abetting um, in relation to, to a breach in instances where, for example, um, you are able to gain access to the stolen data um, and potentially have an opportunity to erase that data um, or move that data. You know, the practicalities of what does that look like for the organization um, and getting legal advice around what actions are permissible in that scenario, I think, will also be quite important. Exactly. There, 
you know, obviously there's steps that one must take and there's steps that you should take. So to your point, you don't want to ever be in a situation where your response to this kind of attack is a vigilante type response or you try to, you know, extort your attacker back or anything like that. We do see that behavior sometimes that can you know, land you in your own legal trouble. Um, but also you need to then consider, and it's a point that you so importantly made earlier, there's a lot of reputational aspects to this as well. So there's the legal and we can deal with the legal, but often the most important asset that could be damaged by this attack is your reputation. And so how do you protect that reputation? And so one of the, the common things we're seeing now is that depending on who you are and what the attack is, you may ask your attorneys to help you brief uh, PR experts. And that's not because they can obfuscate or PR the issues away. But if you're required to make a notification to you know, an affected person to say their data has been lost, it may be beneficial to have both a PR lens and a legal lens to make sure that what's being said is legally sufficient, but also said in a way that best protects your brand. And so there's a lot of that type of lateral thinking you must consider. And uh, maybe to touch on one other on forensic investigators, likewise the same. It may be that you, it may be clear how the attack happened. I mean, you don't require an investigator, but more often than not, you may have no idea how these hackers got onto your system. And so again, it may be good to get your attorneys to brief a forensic investigator, hopefully also covered by your insurance, to make sure that um, you've closed any gaps you may have in your system. So if a regulator comes knocking and says, how has this happened? What have you done? You can hold up an independent report to say, here's how it happened. Here's what we've changed. And here's why we sure it won't happen again in the same way. So it seems to me then, Carl, that ultimately, you know, there's a, th- a three-step process um, within an organization when it, lo- when it looks at its data breach um, exposure. And that is for me to mitigate prior to any um, incident. So again, speaking to the controls, um, the, uh, the training and the like that you have within the organization. In the event that something does occur, um, managing that, um, ensuring that post an incident, you manage it in compliance with the law, but of course, within the context of a framework that the organization is comfortable with. And then I think also importantly, after that, there needs to be a review element as well to say, look, we implemented these systems um, in the absence of an actual incident. Now that we've got one that we can look at uh, as a practical example, are we comfortable with the controls that we've put in place? Are there any aspects of it that need to be um, reviewed, um, reassessed? And of course, that is an ongoing um, process because of course, the nature of information technology um, is such that the the threats are ever evolving. And so, so too should your management of the risk. Absolutely, Wendy. And in all these instances that we know we've experienced, it's the clients who are most prepared beforehand, but always fare the best. And there will always be a curveball. There will always be a surprise that uh, makes one event slightly different from another. So there's always, you know, thinking on your feet is always key to these types of activities. But if you have a, a plan down, if you have processes in place for right people to talk to, it takes a disastrous situation and can just turn it into a mildly inconvenient one. 100% agreed. Thank you so much for joining us today for this podcast. We hope that it's given you an insight into these type of attacks and how to respond to them. But of course, if you ever experience this attack or would like any assistance in preparing for such an attack, please do reach out to us. Uh, we are always available to assist. Thank you so much for your time.
You have been listening to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. For more expert legal insights and updates, visit WeberWenzel.com.